Right. I love the fact that um, I know the introverts in the room don't like. I'm actually I am actually an introvert, but uh, just not on Sunday mornings. But um, I love the fact that I have to like sit you guys down, because like, we we've been here pastors here for six years, and it hasn't always been that way. So I, either you guys like each other more, or like all the mean people left, and we replace them with nice people. I don't know. Uh, but man, I love that you guys actually like talking to each other. Um, that's fun. That's exciting. Uh, like I said just a few minutes ago, my name is Jason, uh, the teaching pastor here at the church, and just pumped that you're here. You know, we, we get, what, 80 minutes, 70 minutes, 90 minutes together uh, each week, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's just, uh, I just leave with a smile on my face and, and just glad I was here, and it hasn't always been that way. Like, I grew up in church, and I didn't always leave with a smile on my face. Maybe you went to my church, I don't know, you know, growing up, but... Um, but that's not the case here. I just love that. Love that. Uh, we are starting a, a brand new series today called Addicted to Me. And I think you'll kind of figure out why it's called that as we go through it. But it's called Addicted to Me. And the idea or the premise behind it is we just want to give you three choices that we think you could and should make over the next three weeks. Uh, the, I'm, I'm doing the first two. Pastor Cecil's doing the, the last one. But but three choices over the next three weeks that we would love for you to make, that we believe God wants you to make, to set you up for 2015 to be your best year ever. Um, and we don't say that in like a, a salesman slogan-y way, you know, we, we, we really do, and I really do want this to be the best year you've ever had, and yeah, make more money, and yeah, be happier at work and all that stuff, but more specifically than that, I want this to be the best year that you've ever had with Jesus and spiritually speaking, I want you to, this to be the best year. I was reading an article a few days ago. It's the beginning of the year, so there's all these articles out about, you know, how to have a better year and things like that. Really good stuff. And uh, there was this article that, that gave 10 things, 10 decisions you can make to be happier. And it actually, it's not just opinion, like, I mean, it is opinion, but they backed it up by science. So like 10 scientific things you can do to be happier. I'm not going to give you all 10 today. I'm just going to give you some of my favorite Obviously, exercise more, but they say scientifically, even just seven minutes a day, seven minutes of exercise a day. I know you're not happy while you're doing it, but after you get done doing it, um, you can, you'll be happier. Sleep more, that if you get between uh, seven and eight hours of sleep, I love this here, that you are less sensitive, like you won't be so easily offended, you won't snap back as much, you know, whatever, so just go ahead and elbow your spouse and say, you need to get more sleep, okay, just tell them. You need to get more sleep because you get less sensitive. Move closer to work. That, that they've done like brain scan studies or, I don't know, smart people figured this out. And, and here's what they found out. That a shorter commute over time is more satisfying than a bigger house, right? And anybody that lives going down I-65 right now would say amen to that. Um, let's see. Go outside more. Now, here's what's kind of crazy, that, that the perfect temperature for your ideal happiness is 57 degrees. Did you know that? That if you go outside, and I kind of like that because I, I like wearing hoodies. You know, I'd rather have a hoodie on than, than be sweating in the heat. And so, but they say, yeah, if you go outside and 57 degrees scientifically is the perfect temperature, the best temperature for your happiness. And this is my favorite, right? This is my favorite. That, that what you can do to be happier is you can plan a vacation but not take it. Because what they found out is the happiest time of the vacation is the planning. So you sit at work 
you sit at work and look at beach houses, and you're happier at that moment than if you ever go on the trip. So you can save yourself a lot of money and just plan a bunch of vacations. Put them on the calendar. Put them on the calendar. And then about two days before, it'll be like, you know what? We're probably not going to be able to do that. And don't go on the trip. And, uh, and, you'll, and there you go. You'll be happier. So listen, those are fun. And I, and I think those are all great ideas to have a better year. But I meant what I said that I really want this to be a year for so many of you where you get the, the heart right, the soul right, the, the spiritual stuff right, because you can get all the other things right in your life. You can be happier at your job, and your marriage could be better, and all those things, and, and, and those are incredible. I'm not discounting that. But you can get all those right, but if you don't get this right, if you don't get the heart right, the soul right, then something, it, it's just off. It doesn't, it's not right. You know, it's, it's off balance. And, and the opposite's true, too. You can have a lot of things going on in your life that aren't exactly ideal and how you would want them, but if the heart is right, if the soul's right, if you and Jesus are good, then, then it just is different. There's just, a, there's just a, a peace and a joy in life. And so that's what we want to do over these next three weeks is give you three choices that you can make. Uh, we're going to give you one a week that would help you to, uh, for this to be your, your best year ever. And and the reason we're calling this addicted to me is because I want to kind of break this idea or break this myth that I believe is maybe one of the biggest lies that culture has fed us, and that is that we are the most satisfied when we get to do what we want, okay? And we're going to be the happiest when we get to do what we want. And here's what I mean by that, that so much of our time is dictated to us, right? Our boss, you know, tells us 40 or whatever plus hours, when we can go, when we have to get there. Our, our kids' ball coaches tell us when we have to be at the ballpark. And anytime you get the courage to stand up to the coach, you know, your kid says, no, I have to sit the bench, you know, or, uh, you know, whatever it is, like uh, commitments you make outside of job, like your time is dictated to you. And so what happens in our heads is we think, you know what, I've got to do all these other things that everybody else has me do. But if I could just get some me time, if I could just get, like, if I could just do what I want to do, then I would be the most satisfied. I would be the happiest. And obviously that, that makes some sense. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it, maybe it works like this. You're sitting at work and you're not happy with your job and you think, man, if I could just get to the beach, you know, especially right now when it's like negative 37 degrees. Can I just ask this question? It's not even the point of the message. Anybody else's spouse have the ceiling fans running at negative 40, like at my house? I don't, yeah, yeah, okay, y'all are weirdos, I don't know. Anyway, all right, so I just didn't know if I was the only one. Arctic plunge freeze, we got the ceiling fans going, but anyway, all right. So, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so, so we'll be most satisfied. So we're, we're at our job, we don't like it, and, uh, and we're thinking, man, if I could just get to the beach. Or we're, we're doing something and we're not happy and it's the middle of the week and we think, man, if I could just get to Friday, if I could just get in a pair of sweatpants, if I could just get some Friday Night Lights on Netflix, if I could just binge watch my favorite show, whatever it is, then I would be happy. I'd be happy. If I could just get home to watch the game, if I could just get to, you know, wherever it is, if I could just get to the golf course, if I could just get more sleep, then, then that would be what would fix me. That would be what would make me happy is if I could just stop doing what everybody else needs me to do and I could just do what I need to do. If I could get some, some me time. And I understand where that's coming from, but I, I don't believe that that's necessarily true. See, for me and what I hope to accomplish 
these next three weeks is this series is really about two words. I'm going to give you these two words. And these two words are Bible words, and they're kind of really intimidating, and they can sound daunting, but that's, that's not what they are, and I'll explain it to you. But I, I, this series, and what I hope 2015 is for you, is a year of revelation and a year of blessing. A year of revelation and a year of blessing. And, and, and I know that the word revelation is like, dun, dun, dun. it's like a very intimidating word. But let me just define it for you, okay? Revelation is just understanding a new truth or being reminded of a truth, right? So revelation is just, hey, I learned something new. We're talking spiritually, though, all right? So God revealed something to me new, or I was reminded, because we don't always learn new things. Sometimes we go, you know what? I forgot that truth, and God reminded me of that. Another way people define revelation is like kind of understanding how God thinks, you know, kind of getting clued into God's mind. And I don't know, like the big, the big God of the universe allows you and I to have an exchange with him and, and, and be clued into what he's thinking and be reminded of truth and, and, and get new truth. He speaks to us. I want you to wrap your mind around that for a second. And I don't know about you, but if, if that's available to me, I want that. I want that. I want revelation in my life, but I also want God's blessing in my life. And I love the definition of the, the dictionary definition of blessing. Uh, number three on the list, whatever, is just a spiritual infusion of hope. A spiritual infusion of hope. Blessing sometimes can mean I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel as good as I do about this, but I'm blessed by God. You know, I'm doing better than I deserve. God's maybe favor, if you want to use that word, is on my life or good outcomes, sometimes good outcomes, but it's just God's goodness on my life, okay? And so I want this series to be about and this year to be about God's revelation in our life and God's blessing on our life. I want that for me. I want that, I want that for you. And I believe that the Bible gives us some ways to have that and, and to do that that the Bible tells us how to have revelation. See, life without revelation gets really stale. That, that if, 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 if what you know of God, and we, I think we said this last week, but if, if, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, but you've really just been a Christian one time, 20 times, if you've been a Christian for one year, 20 years, you, don't, you understand the difference? That gets stale and tiring and exhausting, right? But when you're in a relationship with God that is, that, that is uh, infused with new truth and reminding of old truth and, and you feel like God has spoken to you, there is a freshness. There's a freshness to that, right? So I want you to have revelation and I want you to have blessing and I believe the Bible tells us how to do that. But here's what I can promise you, okay? I can promise you that today and the next two weeks when you hear what the Bible instructs us or, or tells us to do in order to have revelation and blessing, your first reaction is going to be to push back and to say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I, I just, I would love to do that, but Jason, it sounds like you're adding to my plate and I don't have time to do that. And I get it. I get it. I understand what you mean by that. We're all busy. Has anybody noticed that busy is the new fine? When you ask somebody how they're doing, used to, you say, how you doing? People say, I'm fine. Not anymore. Now you say, how you doing? Everybody goes, oh, I'm just so busy. 
And we are, we're busy, right? We, we've got so many things going on. And so today we're gonna be given a way and we're gonna have more ways that, that we can position ourselves to have revelation and blessing from God. Maybe for the first extended period of time in our life, we can have that. And we're gonna wanna push back and go, Jason, I just don't have time. I can't add anything else. I just don't have time. And so before we jump into the book of, of Haggai this morning, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to stop viewing your schedule and your calendar and your life, your itinerary. I want you to stop approaching it with this question. Here's how most of us approach what we have, you know, like our schedule. We approach it with this question. What needs to get done? Okay, all right, it's the beginning of a new week. What do I need to get done? And we start making a list, and we start to go, what do I need to get done? What do I need to get done? What do I need to get done? The problem with asking the question, what do I need to get done, is it gives your tasks all the power. Because you're allowing your tasks and responsibilities to dictate to you how you're going to spend your time. So instead of asking the question, what do I need to get done, I want to encourage you to change it and ask this question. Who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? Because if, let's just, say, let's just say you want to become a healthier person. If you start with what needs to get done, you'll never find time for exercise. But if you start with who do I want to become, exercise will go first. You understand the difference? So you're not going to be the victim anymore. You're not going to, you're not going to give the tasks the power. You're going to say, okay, who do I want to become? I want to be a better spouse. I want to become a better spouse, okay? That means my spouse is going to get my best time instead of the things that need to get done. Still got to find time to get them done, but they're going to move to the back of the list because I'm starting with the question, who do I want to become? Does that make sense to everybody? So I want to challenge you today. No victims in here today. Nobody who says, well, I would, but I can't. We all have 24 hours. We all get seven days a week. Nobody gets any more. Nobody gets any less. And we are all busy, but I love what John Piper said one time, and this hurts a little bit, but I love what John Piper said one time. John Piper said, if Facebook proves anything to us or does anything for us, it will eliminate the excuse that we can tell God when we stand before him that we didn't have time. And I just thought, wow, that was really convicting, John Piper. Thank you for that. But it is true, right? We are all busy, but the reality is we prioritize what we want to become or we prioritize kind of the things that are immediately important to us, okay? So... I want to become someone that hears from God. I want to become someone that's blessed by God. I hope you do too. If you don't, you're going to be really bored the next 15 or 20 minutes. But if you do, then I want to give you something that I believe can really help you this morning. All right, so we're going to jump in. Haggai or Haggai, chapter 1. If you have a Bible, flip over there. or You can put it on the, the they're going to have it on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Haggai, chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 4. And here's the first choice that I'm going to give you today, okay? The first choice in this series that I want to give you is this. I want you to choose to prioritize what God prioritizes. I want you to choose to prioritize what God prioritizes, okay? Let's look at this. Haggai chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Here's what it says. God is speaking to the people. This is God speaking, literally. And here's what he says to the people. He says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? 
This is what the Lord of heaven says. Look at what's happening to you. So, so God is about to say to the people, let me explain to you what's happening. He says, you have planted much, but you harvest little. You're not getting the results that you thought you would get. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Anybody know what that feels like? I do. So this is what verse 7, the Lord of heaven says. He says, look at what's happening to you. So God is giving them an inventory, not just of you know, the outer things in life, but he's really kind of giving them an inventory of their soul. And he says to them, I want you to take an inventory and notice that you're never satisfied. You never get the the money you think you'll have. You never feel the contentment you think you will. You're never satisfied with the nicer things that you receive. God's saying this to the people. Take an inventory of your life, God says. This is what the Lord says in verse 7. Look what's happening to you. He's going to give us an answer to that problem, a solution to that problem. Look at what he says in verse 8. God says, now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it. And that's a great phrase because that lets us know that there are things that we can do that bring pleasure to God, which would also mean that there are things that we do that displeasure God, okay? God says specifically, if you go up in the woods up there and cut down some trees and bring them down here, okay? That's what he says. To rebuild my house, then I'm gonna, that's going to bring me pleasure and be honored, which that's A big statement, because that lets us know that there are things that we do that God feels honored by. And there are also things that we do that God feels dishonored by. Are you tracking there? So there are things we can do that bring pleasure to God, and there are things that we do that displeasure God. And then there are things that we do that honor God, and there are things that we do that dishonor God. Okay? And he says... You hoped for rich harvest, verse 9, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, look at what he says. God says, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says God. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Okay? I want you to, I want you to, to, to just, I mean, we just read some really powerful verses right there. God says, you're not seeing the results in your life that you want to see. If you will do this, because I am pleased and honored, you will then get the results that you're hoping to see. That's what God just said right there. And the verses that we just read are literally about Wood and hammers and nails, literally. Like, he literally is saying, build my house. And that's not the point of the message today. We're not building a new building. We don't need you to show up and help us, you know, uh, build something, all right? Even though we are going to have a work day coming up soon, but that's not the point of the message. Anyway, so um, that's not what he's saying. But symbolically, he is saying, 
that God takes his house very seriously. And, and, and his house represents church. So he said the choice we want to make is that we want God to, we want to prioritize the things that God prioritizes. And then we read five verses in Haggai, and God says, you're not getting the results you want to see because you are prioritizing your house over my house. So for the next 12, 15 minutes today, I want to challenge you to prioritize God's house. I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. I'm going to kind of be a little bit aggressive with you today. And I want to challenge you to make the decision. We're asking the question, who do I want to become? And I want to challenge you to prioritize God's house. house. If it's a big enough deal that God says, I blew away your harvests, but if you will prioritize my house, I'll bless you. If it's a big enough deal for God to say that, it's got to be a big deal to us to prioritize God's house. My great-grandparents taught my grandparents a valuable truth. And my grandparents taught my parents, and thanks be to God, my parents taught me, and hopefully I will continue to teach that to my kids, this truth that when I prioritize God's house, God blesses my house. I want to say that again. That when I prioritize God's house, God blesses my house. And I've thought a lot about the next couple of minutes in this message and, and how I want to say it, and I've rewritten it four or five times, and I've worked on it for a couple of weeks, and I preached it to the staff Thursday, and we rewrote it then, and you know, I mean, just, I've thought a lot about what I want to say because I grew up in a church culture that was very religious guilt-driven. And what I mean by that is, whether they meant to or not, the idea was, if you want people to make better decisions, make them feel bad about the decisions they're currently making. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. The problem is, guilt never changes anything long-term. You may get a response out of me for the short term, but you're never going to motivate me to change long-term, right? But there was this idea like, you know, tell them how, tell them, you know, you don't read your Bible, you're a bum, you know, We would say things like, you love football more than you love Jesus. And we would think that men would be like, you're right, I'm sorry, I'll never watch football again. That's not how it works, right? And so I I, I in no way, no way. Matter of fact, when I felt like God was calling me to ministry and pastoring, I, I, I made a commitment to myself as best I possibly could to not use guilt to try to motivate people for change. But this is a this is a really tough subject to maneuver around guilt because there comes a point when all of us in our lives have to ask this question. Why is it that everything else seems to get priority over church, over God's house? And I'm not, I'm not talking about 52 weeks a year, three nights a week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just from a mentality standpoint. Why is it that when we list everything that gets our time, church does not go at the top, God's house does not go at the top, our house goes at the top, okay? And if there's anything left, we'll give it to God. We'll go to to church. If I can get there, I'll get there, Jason. I mean, I'm going to go to church. 
but only after the people who need my time get my time, only after I've gotten my time, then I will give God his time and I'll go to church. And even as I say that, it just feels like I'm loading up a gun full of guilt bullets. You know what I mean? And I'm shooting them out. But I really want to challenge you this morning. I really want to challenge you and ask you this question. Do you prioritize what God prioritizes? Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? Because God is passionate about his house. God is passionate about his house. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. The day of his return is drawing near. I don't think we realize how much we miss church. The average church attender attends church 18 to 24 times a year. In essence, it is one and a half times a month plus a few special, you know, whatever we come to, you know, Easter, Christmas, kids singing, whatever it is, right? So at our best, we're coming twice a month. And if anybody said, hey, do you go to church? You say, yeah, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I go. And that's an average, so it breaks out sometimes and who knows what or whatever. But, but I don't think we realize how much we, we miss church. Let me put it this way. I don't think we realize how much we prioritize our house over God's house. I remember when I was playing uh, basketball at Norcross High School. Uh, I was a sophomore and, uh, well, I played basketball in middle school and high school, but I remember my sophomore year, I was not starting. I was six or seven, one or two guy off the bench, and, and, uh, and I wanted so badly to start. And so I was doing my best, busting it to, in practice to, to, you know, to try to win that spot over Jeff Hawkins. And I really wanted to beat out Jeff Hawkins. But his mom ran the booster club, and I thought there's no way. I mean, it had nothing to do with skill, obviously. It had to do with his mom running the booster club. And, uh, and I remember every Wednesday night, my dad would walk in the front door to the track looking down on the gym, and he would say, Jason, come on, we got to go. And practice would run from, you know, I don't know, 4.30 to 7.30 or whatever it was. And at 6 o'clock every Wednesday night, my dad would pick me up from practice, put a change of clothes in the car, and make me go to church. And every single Wednesday night, I hated him for it. I was so mad because I knew there was no way I was ever going to start over Jeff Hawkins if I couldn't finish basketball practice. But my dad had made the commitment, and he said, Jason, we're going to church. We're not missing church. As a 31-year-old dude, I am so excited that my dad had made that commitment because he was teaching me something. He was showing me something, and he was showing me that when we prioritize God's house, God blesses our house. It has nothing to do with the fact that basketball is not more important with God. It has nothing to do with the fact that if I hadn't gone to church, God wouldn't have never let me start or anything like that. It has nothing to do with any of that, even though I do blame, you know, a lot of that on my not making it to college as a basketball player. But anyway, I, I, it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the question, who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? Do I want to become a starting JV basketball player, or do I want to become someone that God speaks to and God blesses? Now, I didn't understand that as a 15-year-old kid, but my dad did. But my dad did. 
And I've been in ministry now for 13 years. I've been a pastoral staff member for the last 13 years. And I begin to think about and think through the differences that I've seen in people's lives who have decided to commit and prioritize God's house and those who haven't. This is just my opinion. I began with a pen and a paper, just write down some of the things that I have seen for people who commit to church and people who don't. Like, um, I've never, let me just say this. I've never seen a couple who faithfully attends church together ever get a divorce, ever. Now, I have seen couples who were going through tough times, decided to stop coming to church and ended up separating. I have seen couples where the husband wouldn't come to church, the wife did, they ended up separating. I've seen those things. And you may know somebody who breaks this rule. But in my 13 years, I've never seen a couple who faithfully attends church together ever get a divorce. Like, I've never seen a couple come to church on Sunday, get divorced on Friday, and come to church on Sunday. And I know that sounds crazy, but I want you to just get the picture of faithful church attendance. I've never seen a couple who prioritizes God's house ever get a divorce. But I can tell you 20 or 30 or 40 stories and names of couples who talk to their pastor, talk to their staff about how they're going through a tough time, and because they didn't feel like it or whatever was going on, decided not to come to church. And I'm not saying that they got divorced because they didn't come to church. What I'm saying is that there's something supernatural that God blesses in a couple that prioritizes God's house. I've, I've seen uh, families who prioritize church get along better, have healthier communication, bond closer together. All kinds of families are having struggles, but somehow it seems like families who faithfully commit to church, uh, it helps them make it through the tough times. I I in no way mean that if you're a family here and you come to church that you're not going to have trouble or you're not going to strangle your teenager. But Jesus helps you. He does, right? I've seen people committed to church eventually begin to trust in God in the area of money and giving, and God blesses their lives more than they ever could imagine. Let me say this. I've seen people who have turned down jobs that paid more money than they thought they were going to make because it was going to require them to miss more church. And they were distraught at the decision they were having to make, thinking they were passing up a dream job, only to find, and God provide a job, way better than the job they turned down when they committed to prioritizing God's house. I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious here. I'm not just I'm telling you I've seen it happen. Several, several, several times, many times. I've seen people who have faced tragedy, loss, sickness, abandonment, survive, even come out on the other side thriving because of the support, encouragement, and help they receive from their church family. I sat with a, a family in a waiting room Friday going through an incredible, a serious major surgery. And the wife said to me, our church family has been unbelievable. I can't imagine somebody going through this without the support of their church family. I begin to think about the times that Andrew and I have been through in our lives with miscarriages and the loss of my mom. And, and then as I was growing up, I, and I just can't, I'm like, man, how do people make it without a church family? I don't understand how they do it. I don't understand how they do it. And it's weird because I hear people say to me, like, all the time after a message, you know, God graciously uses something that I say or and, and, and God speaks to their life, and they'll come up to me afterwards, and they'll say, you know what? I almost didn't come today. I almost didn't come, but I'm so glad I did, because God really spoke to me, and I know what they mean, and I appreciate the encouragement, but the way they describe it, it's almost like they woke up that morning not sure if they were going to come or not, like it was a 50-50 coin flip. Are we going to come to church? Are we not going to come to church? 
And what I want to say, but I don't because I don't want to be rude, but what I want to say is, you know, he'd speak to you more. Every time you come. He would do it every time. Not just on the mornings you decide. He would do it every single time. But you, you, you want a vibrant relationship with God. You want a thriving relationship with God. But you wake up on Sunday morning on a 50-50 coin flip of whether or not you're going to go to his house. And we don't do that in any other area of life. We don't say, you know what, I want to save a lot more money, but I'm never going to the bank. I want to lose weight, but I'm never going to the gym. I want to have more friends, but I'm never leaving my house. We don't do that. But there is this, 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 this pull in us that says, yes, I want to know Jesus better. Yes, I want to know Jesus more. But I don't think I'm going to prioritize church. Or maybe we would never vocalize it like that. But what we see through our actions and our commitments is we say, if there is time when everything else and everybody else gets theirs, then I'll give God his. It's the same principle of giving and money, right? What I'm talking about is not some religious obligation. Oh, i got to check off the church attendance list so I don't get any flat tires this week, right? I'm not talking about that. That's not the way that it works. And I know that there are times when you make a commitment or an obligation that you do something you don't feel like doing. i got a six-year-old daughter, Sadie, who, you know, is at church all the time. And even when church is not open, she's here with me. And uh, I walked in a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and I said, all right, wake up. We're going to church. And real loud, like she's, her eyes are closed. Come on, wake up church. She goes, oh, no, not church again. <laughs> I said, yep, just picked her up. And, and I know that there are times, I'm the pastor, and I feel like that sometimes, okay? Like I get that. But we say, God, I'm going to prioritize what you prioritize. Right? Does it really make a difference? Of course it makes a difference in our life. I could talk to you about how being in church positions you to hear from God. I could talk to you about how being in church uh, positions you to be encouraged by other people who have the same goals as you and knowing Jesus more. I could talk to you about how being in church positions you to help other people who are here in the church. You have no idea the, the, the gifts and the skills, the talents, that, the wisdom that you have that you could share with other people. But what I want to do for the last few moments today is I want to tell you why I think the most important reason why you should be in church, why you should prioritize God's house. You know, we all are tempted to think that me time will make us feel better. If I could just get on vacation, if I could just get home, if I could just get in some sweatpants, if I could just get to Netflix, book, whatever it is, tub, you know what I'm saying, right? We think, man, I'm just so depleted, I'm so empty, but if I could just if I could just get to, to me time, it'd fill me up. Fill me up, right? And we just soak that in as much as we can, and then we got to go to work, and then the kids got to get to practice, and then we got to cook dinner, and then we got to do the laundry, and we're back to empty again. We think, man, but if I could just get, if, if I could just, I just got to get home today, you know? I could just, if I, you know, what some of y'all weirdos, like if I could just cut my grass, it like, I don't know if it fulfills you. I don't know. Anyway, but like if I could just do that, it fills you up. It depletes me. But anyway, all right. I could just fill me up. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a couple days, but life starts happening again. You know how it works. You just start leaking. And you're like, man, I, I'm empty again. But that's okay because I can just... If I, can just get, if I could just get to some me time, fill me back up, right? 
add this. I'm not sure if I can or not. So we keep buying into this myth, this idea that more me time will, will fix it. More me time will fix it. And this is not in any way a message against me time. Nobody likes playing golf more than this guy right here. I love to play golf. It really does fill me up for a short period of time. It really does. And we're actually going to talk about rest in one of the weeks. But, but the thing about it is when we take the responsibility to fill ourselves up, it never, it never fulfills us and works in a way that's going to satisfy long term. But this helium tank represents God. It represents revelation. It represents blessing. Okay? It's not my breath anymore. It's the breath of God. Okay? And so you say, well, man, my time is obligated, and I got to be here, and I got to do that, and I'm leaking, and I feel awful, and all this stuff, and I get it. And you, but if you can just get in God's presence, Right? And God fills you up, and you go, well, yeah, Jason, but I still have time commitments. Absolutely you do, so you got to go back to work, and then you got to take the kids, and then you got to drop off the kids, and you got to do that, and you got to do laundry, you got to cook, and you got to, you know, get to ball practice and whatever it is. Yeah, you do run out again. That's why we do it once a week. And you come back, and you get in God's presence. Listen, this is not the only reason we come to church. And you can do your devotions, and you can pray and get filled up, and we're going to talk about that because I love that more than anything else. But let me tell you something. There's something about the air in the room. And I know this sounds weird, but on Thursday, we do staff prayer, and I walk around the sanctuary, and I pray prayers literally like this. God, I pray that when we worship, it would just be like just something coming through the vents. I just look at the vents when I pray on Thursdays. It's like, God, I just pray that it's like your presence and spirit and power just kind of comes through the vents. And I come to church, and I'm surrounded by believers who have the same goals to know Jesus like me and, and, to, and to be a better husband like me and to, and to, and to, and to, and to be more effective and, and reaching my lost friends like me. And I come here, and I'm surrounded by them, and we sing songs, and I hear the Bible taught, and it's just like, God's Spirit fills me up. And the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And some of you are so tangled and chained up and so obligated and whatever it is. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And so I come in here with you and and, and I leave here on Sundays and I get in my car and I just am like filled with God's Spirit. Makes me a better employee. It makes me a better dad. It makes me a better husband makes me a better friend, makes me a better Christian, keeps my relationship with God sharp. Some weeks I don't empty out as much as others, but some weeks I do. Some weeks life is harder than other weeks. And when life gets hard, I think, you know what, I don't have time for that. I can't get there. But if I could just ask the question, who do I want to become and not what do I need to get done, and I can get back in God's presence, he fills me back up again. And God's breath is so much better than my breath. God's spirit is so much better than my efforts or my Netflix or my whatever it is, right? The difference between God filling me up and me filling me up is that when God fills me up, it lifts me higher. It lifts me higher. God's presence does something in me. And I come in this room with you and I love you and I'm glad that we're together and I'm glad you're here for me. And I breathe it in. And listen, a relationship with God is not just about feeling God. 
But I like feeling God too. And there are times when we're singing songs and chills rise up on my arms. Or maybe a tear fills my eye or a smile fills my face. And I know that I feel him and he is here. And some of you, I love you, but some of you are trying to serve Jesus like, I don't know, like, through reading Bible words in a dictionary. Like you're trying to have a relationship with God, but you're not, there's no exchange with him. You're not being filled with his spirit, filled with his presence. You're not leaving here going like, man, I got Jesus today. I got the spirit today. Like God is in me. I'm walking higher. My faith is lifted. I'm encouraged. I'm faith-filled today. I'm attacking Monday today because God has filled me up today. And that's not the only reason, but I ain't got time to talk about all the reasons. So even if I could just appeal to your selfish nature for just a moment, like we all have, your life is better. Your spirit and soul are better. Your relationship with God is better. Your marriage will be better. Your money will be better. Your family will be better. Every day will know. But over the long haul, when you decide, I'm going to prioritize God's house, God says, when I find somebody who prioritizes my house, I bless their house. Do we have to say no to our kids sometimes? Sometimes. Do we have to say no to hobbies sometimes? Sometimes. Do we have to find jobs that don't obligate us more than maybe are healthy for our obligations? Sometimes. And I'm not talking about, let's chain you to the chair 52 weeks a year. You have a baby shower in Bowling Green. I get it. Go, right? I'm not here 52 weeks a year. But I am here, and I I have made a decision for me and my family. We're going to prioritize God's house. And just like giving, God commands us to do it, but he's such an incredible father. He says, if you'll do what I tell you you have to do anyway, I'm going to bless you and make it better than if you had never done it. And he fills us up. I don't know how Corey's going to get that balloon down, but wherever it went. He fills us up. So let me ask you this question. This is a hard question. You ready? Am I honoring God with the best of me or what's left of me? Am I honoring God with the best of me or what's left of me? When it comes to my calendar, my commitment, my schedule... If I limp into Sunday making it and I wake up and the weather's not too nice and the weather's not too cold and the game doesn't kick off too early and the kids aren't crying too much, does God get that? Or do we say, you know what, God, the most important thing in my life is to be filled with your spirit. And if there's somewhere that I could go that could fill me up, then you're going to get the number one slot on my time, my schedule. So here's what we're going to do today. i got some volunteers who are going to help me as we close today. I'm a, um, I'm a spreadsheet nerd kind of guy. And so some of you may not find this helpful, and, and, and this may end up on the floorboard of your car, but um, that's okay anyway. Do we have those? You got them? Let's go ahead and pass them out. Yep, thanks, Clark. All right. I want every family to get one of these. You really just need one kind of per family, but if we have more, you can have one. That's fine. I'm so serious about this that I wanted to go ahead and give you every legitimate reason to miss church for the rest of the year, okay? 
I'm serious. They tell us, researchers and, and brain scans and all that stuff and, and just results tell us that when we plan ahead, we are 200 to 300 times more successful at what it is we're trying to accomplish. 200 to 300 times more successful. So if you would say today, Jason, here's who I want to become. I want to become a, a man of God, a great husband, a leader in my home, somebody that knows Jesus, somebody who hears from God, somebody who has revelation, somebody who has blessing. If 200 to 300 more times successful for people who plan ahead, then I say we go ahead and plan ahead. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm going to go for. And so I've gone ahead and listed every Sunday, plus possibly Christmas Eve, we haven't decided, or Christmas Eve Eve, we haven't decided yet, every Sunday for the rest of the year right here. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to sit down with your family, your spouse, and I'm asking you to go ahead and write down every Sunday that you're going to be in church and every Sunday that you're not going to be in church. You're not turning this back in. We're not grading these. You know, I, this is yours, okay? You're going to take this home with you, all right? And, and, and I only want you to feel guilty if you feel guilty. I only want you to feel bad if you feel bad. God's design in this, or my design in this even, is not that you would go, oh, I'm a terrible person. But I want you to look at a year and realize if, and ask yourself the question, do I prioritize what God prioritized? Am I giving God the best of me, or, or, or is he giving what's rest, the, the rest of me, right? What's left of me? So we sit down and write it down. There's no magic number. There's no goal. I just want you to sit down with your spouse or your family and say, you know what? Here's the next 50 Sundays of the year. And we put on here Super Bowl, Kentucky Derby Sunday, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day weekend. You gain an hour of sleep. You, you got to make it to church and gain an hour of sleep. My goodness, you get an hour of sleep. Thanksgiving, uh, uh, spring break, school gets out. I mean, it's crazy. Like, school gets out around the same time every year, and, like, it sneaks up on us every time. We're going to go ahead and write it down and say, you know what? God's going to get my best these weeks, and there are going to be weeks. I'm not even going to be here 52 weeks a year, all right? There are going to be weeks you just don't, you can't make it. I get it. God gets it. But let's don't leave it up to a coin flip. Let's don't leave it up to a 50-50 shot based on how we feel. Let's go ahead and decide, you know what, God, you're getting my best. And then write it into whatever calendar. Go ahead and set reminders on your phone to remind you every Saturday night or Friday night or whatever it is. We got church tomorrow. Not because it helps Jason. I don't get paid by the head count, okay? It's, 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 it's for you. It's for revelation and blessing in your life so that you can be filled with God's spirit, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word challenges us to be and to go where we aren't currently, to be someone we aren't currently. But it's always raising the bar a little bit. It's always pushing us, nudging us to be more like you or what you want us to be. And so, God, I just pray that, that today we would, we would rise to the challenge, not out of guilt or shame, not out of feeling judged, but God, just being somebody that says, you know what? Prioritizing God and God's house is a priority to me. So God, I pray for the husband in the room who may want to fight back on this, or I pray for the spouse in the room who 
who may say, you know what, that, it's, their cynicism may kick in and say it's not that important. God, I pray that as families and as, as marriages and as, as individuals, God, we would decide that you get our best, not what's left, God. And so in this moment, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would realign us on what's most important. We would make the choice this year, today, we would make the choice that this is going to be the year when we prioritize God's house like we've never prioritized it before. Nobody looking around, head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and, and you would say, Jason, I, I, you know, you're talking about church attendance and I know I need that and all that stuff, but I got to tell you, I, I, I need Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe I did at one point, but I I'm so far away, I don't even know how to describe what it is that I've got. And, and I, I just, I felt led to be here this morning. And even right now in this moment, I feel so strong. I'm supposed to give my life to Jesus Christ. We're not going to embarrass you, make you stand up, come down front or anything like that. I promise. We're just going to pray a simple prayer together. But if that's you and you would say, I want to commit my life to Jesus this morning, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me? Yeah, just stay right there. They're just going to bring you a little bag. That's it. I promise. Anybody else? You'd say... I want to, I want to, nobody looking around, you just say, yeah, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. I'm tired of living for me. Ready to live for him. Put my faith in him. Yeah. Okay. Hey, stand up with me, everybody, if you would. Everybody stand up, everybody. We're going to pray a prayer together for those who lifted their hands today to give their life to Christ. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You were scared. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know this dude, you know, that's all right. Listen. If you want to receive Jesus today and you pray this prayer and you mean it with all your heart, he's going to come into your life. He's going to forgive you of your sins, be the Lord and Savior of your life. If you did raise your hand, pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray it so we can give some confidence and boldness to those who maybe are praying it for the first time. All right, so let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me when I don't deserve it. The next time I fall, help me to get back up and run to you and not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate those who gave their life to Christ this morning? Come on, let's celebrate.